we have your attention, please. Welcome to part two of When Software Goes Wrong. We're now going to talk about the human aspects of the change that will be needed to consider software and information security when designing or updating parts of the railway system. Please feel free to listen to part one of this podcast and to episode six, which introduced the concept of digital safety and read the blogs about the importance of reporting, even if you're not quite sure what it is or why it's happening. Emma, you've spent some time talking to chief information security officers across the rail industry and others responsible for cybersecurity and digital safety. What do you see to be the main issues or barriers to developing an appropriate combined and coordinated level of digital resilience so digital safety can be achieved? Thank you, Ant. It's a very important question. And before I answer, what I'd like to do is pep everyone up by asking them a couple of scene-setting questions. Did you know that on a train, when you've got all the boxes and equipment installed, you're likely to have more than 100 plus passwords that are required to manage that train? And actually, very few organizations are able to do remote management of that software. I remember when someone said more than 100 separate passwords, my jaw dropped because I know how much trouble I've got with managing my sort of three or four or five passwords. And then Would you be surprised to hear that for some systems, perhaps Windows XP is the most recent operating system that can be used to run equipment? That is Windows XP on submarines, health systems and lots elsewhere. And also, you can never have a fully isolated IT network on a train. Things always have to be connected together to use external communications. You know, whilst brakes and door software won't be connected directly to public Wi-Fi, there are cables and they do have to be connected to something in order for them to be able to operate. And where there's a connection, i.e. there's no air gap, there's always a possibility of connecting through things that are not meant to be connected or things that have got incorrect software or data. So you're absolutely right. I spent some time talking to chief information security officers and others are responsible for cybersecurity. And when they told me these stories, I've got a real sense of the difficulties of their day job. So what are the barriers that are in the way? Now, to get for want of a better word, all of Railway's experienced hardware engineers to start thinking more broadly about software as part of their integrated systems is going to need a bit of a culture change. People need to put themselves in other people's shoes, even if they don't fit well or feel a bit uncomfortable. I remember when I started developing my understanding as an experienced safety engineer of the components that might cause me digitally related hazards that might impact my overall sense of understanding, I felt really uncomfortable. I was like, I don't understand this. I don't know what this means. And I had to stretch myself to talk to new discipline areas and to learn a bit more so I could then get a sense of the scope of the problem. Now, the spheres of engineering for physical assets, rolling stock and infrastructure and software engineering are, in many people's heads, worlds apart. And that was me too when I started on this journey. There's a real difficulty in getting the message to stick that we're all in this together and we need to think in that way to demonstrate alignment with the NIS regulations and also to think about all of these aspects in order to keep the railway running safe. It's also about resistance. We're all human. People will ask, they're busy, do we really need to do it? And I would say think of the fines under the NIS regulations if nothing else. And also we're all committed to making the railways run safer. Now, it's worth having a think about why there are these difficulties, these barriers, and perhaps this resistance. It may be because cyber 
is much, much faster than safety. You can put in place a safety measure and things will still be the same on the context for needing that safety measure the following year or maybe even the following five or 10 years. But in terms of digital safety and cybersecurity, the threats and the situations change so much faster. If you can think about it as a metronome, you know, the things that musicians use to sort of take a beat in order to play, the classic rail rhythm of safety is quite tick, tock, tick, tock. But the digital safety, the cybersecurity is going, it's going so fast, you can almost like not even see the rate of change. I remember talking to one chief information security officer and his team, and they said, and I still have trouble believing it, that they have billions of security mini issues which they need to triage and identify whether they're going to turn into major issues. The railway is complex, but there's no safety engineer that has to worry about billions of issues in their day job. And of course, there are challenges in getting the leadership team buy-in as well. But the message needs to come for the top that for digital safety and to think about the NIS regulations, you need those walls to come down and to start to think more broadly. Of course, key to this, and this is part of RSSB's role, is collaboration amongst all parties. And whilst the onus is on the train operating companies and the freight operating companies, all will have to take part and reach deep into the supply chain to get that exchange of information, to get that mental model of common understanding. We need to create that common language that infrastructure, rolling stock and digital experts can all understand. Something that encompasses security, safety, engineering and business continuity. Now, there are standards available that help support this. Of course, RSSB's role is a standard lead throughout the Asset Integrity Programme. We're going to look to bring together in one place the standards that people may need to refer to. And we're also looking to advise how best to use those standards to understand the overall risk. Another way to overcome those issues and barriers, that resistance, is bringing people who are not safety specialists into the safety risk assessment conversation. It's counterintuitive, but someone who's developed a security case for IT networks might be better placed to do digital safety than an experienced safety engineer. Of course, getting them to work together is even better. Now, the National Cybersecurity Centre, who are the technical authority in the UK for the NIS regulations, are well used to these challenges, and they are thinking creatively about how to support people in this collective endeavour. There are assessment frameworks, there are guidance notes and more, and you can find them in the show notes for this podcast, the links to this useful material. But I've personally found that there's no substitute for bringing different disciplines together in a room or a team's call and asking them the simple question, what could happen and what can we do about it? I've done it recently with IT, information security and safety and created a range of reasonably foreseeable scenarios that when I show it to other people on the railway, they go quiet, they look at it and they go, ah, yes, that could happen. That would be my number one recommendation when it comes to NIDS. Bring everyone together, read the legislation from the top and don't try and divide it up. Your responsibility, my responsibility, their responsibility. With system-wide digital safety, everyone needs to work together. Thank you, Emma. You mentioned culture change a few moments ago and I know from my change management experience that the hardest part of any change is the people. You've worked in the aerospace and oil and gas sectors before. Have you seen any differences between them? And is there anything that you can bring from that experience that might help the rail industry? For the information security world, the railway conversations I've had is that people and processes are key, not just the technology element. And many of the solutions are pretty simple. They're not rocket science, but you do need to implement them properly. 
could be things like password control, there could be things like design of networks. And again, if you look at the National Cybersecurity Center website, you will see some of that simple guidance. And that's one of the things through the Asset Integrity Program, we're going to look to put that knowledge in front of more people. But that simple solutions is inverted from classic railway, where actually technology is the most difficult topic. And some of the solutions are actually technically complex. In many of the conversations I'm having, I'm having to steer people away from like the super geeky technology and say, look, these are the things which you need to consider doing now, the people and the processes. My oil and gas background is people, plant and processes. So that's people, technology and processes. And I noticed this switch in focus towards technology when I switched sectors to join the rail industry. The three focus areas I would suggest are regulatory change, keeping up with the engineering technology, of course, and understanding the threat environment that you can't actually control, but you can distract the malicious actors that might be looking to hack into your network. It's a different mindset. One aspect that, to me, highlights the need for information and cybersecurity is the standardization of control networks under ISO 61357. It seems to me that if an intruder can get into a system, it must become very easy to find your way around. And perhaps more significantly, as it involves Wi-Fi, it could be fairly easy to get into. So from your research and conversations, what could go wrong and what should the industry be doing about it? It's a very useful and important question to ask, because once people start to think as a public Wi-Fi access point, as a door that you could open and then get onto the train network, then you start to see that network and its vulnerabilities in a different way. Now, there are actually, if you like, doors internally on that digital network within a train. You do need to think about how easy those digital doors might be to open. Now, it is quite difficult to identify everything that could go wrong from our limited experience in what's gone wrong to date. But I have had some conversations with information security experts, and they suggest that one way is to look at reasonably foreseeable scenarios, i.e. things which could happen but haven't happened yet. Now, the passenger information system example I gave in the previous podcast, a variant of that has happened, but we've actually looked to adapt it to get people to think what could happen as well. Everyone has got their own experience and expertise and knowledge of the railway. And from this, they can individually or together create their own reasonably foreseeable scenarios. Don't wait for something to happen. Don't wait for someone to suggest or even spoon feed you what could happen. You know your systems better than other people. Think with curiosity what could happen. Now, the people who are responsible for cybersecurity deal with literally billions of potential threats on a yearly basis. Their worldview is different from that of a safety engineer. But we can't have those separate worldviews if we want to look at the railway overall. We're all aware of siloed working where everyone thinks about themselves within an organization. That needs to be overcome. Infrastructure and rolling engineers need to work together and they need to include those software engineers in their conversations. And that broader perspective shouldn't just be amongst designers, manufacturers and construction companies. It needs to include operational experts as well, the people that run the railway. We need that collaboration to learn about emergent hazard and risks. And we obviously need that reporting of the things that you see that aren't quite right, that could be underlying hints of digital cracks, potential failures in software and data. One thing that hasn't yet, to use a change management term, got emotional acceptance, is that the existing precursor model for railway incidents doesn't hold easily for the world of software. The conventional wisdom in our understanding of safety-focused operations is that this and this and this aren't going to happen altogether. 
because we have X and Y and that will intervene before that can all happen. In the software world, lots of things can happen at the same time because the root causes and the roots into those issues are so varied and like wide and unpredictable. It's far easier to jump multiple hurdles at the same time and not interconnected and get straight to the point where things can go mildly wrong, worryingly wrong or horribly wrong. And these things can happen a lot faster than in the world of safety. That's why we need to include real world experience, cybersecurity experts in our conversation and start to think about the overall principle of digital safety in our research and in our design and testing. As an example, a standard software developer might carry out penetration testing or pen testing to find the gaps. Think back to that train with like the 100 separate passwords to build a mental model. If they were given those 30 boxes, code blocks and applications to assess what could go wrong, they could check each one separately, you know, like ping them via the public Wi-Fi. And if none of them could be attacked, they would consider the job done and the whole system secure. But if you give the same task to other pen testers, people that take more of a digital safety or security mindset, they would sit there and play with that complex system and they would find roots in that play on multiple vulnerabilities. They would jump multiple hurdles in one bounce. They would find a way to make this and this and this happen. And then finding ways to avoid these combinations of events from occurring is essentially business as usual for people that think about cybersecurity and then the principle of digital safety. That's the shift that we need to make. And of course, we do need to think about the changes in the way the railway is being used and the changes for the people within it. That's what's called socio-technical security, and it also has a direct impact on digital safety. Throughout this podcast and the previous part, I've talked as much about people as I have technology, and perhaps even more. I'd like to tell you a story to illustrate these points. Imagine a conversation between a regulator and train operator the day after a digital accident. Everyone is in the crisis management room. Imagine the moment the CEO got it when the ORR cautioned the engineering lead and the board realised they were on the hook. The penny dropped, but it was too late at that point. And then the third party suppliers realised that the operators, the duty holders, were going to come to them. It was going to land on their shoulders because they provided some of the equipment. The penny dropped with them again, but too late. Imagine the phone call from the British Transport Police, the BTP, the first warning that something significant is at play. And they're telling them, don't touch the digital material. Do not tamper with the evidence. We will be investigating. And you're there in the war room, you're there in the crisis management room, and the phone calls are coming in. But there isn't a strict order or even any order as to how those calls come in. Everyone in the room is constantly playing catch up. The people there are welcoming those calls, but dreading every piece of information that comes in. They're relieved when it's good, horrified when it's bad, but they still want those calls to come in because they want to know more because they don't know when this is going to end and when the limits of this incident are found. And that's particularly true with these digitally related incidents, because at least if it's a train that derails, you can see the train that's derailed and you can understand and you can see the parts. But when the software or data related incidents, it's not so evident. So you're in that crisis management room and it's the end of the first day. And then there's news that one of your trains has been affected with a software fault that's caused a fatality. Let's call it a digital Stonehaven. The first question that comes to your mind, is it one of your trains or is it all of them? Is there going to be a cascade effect when one software fault affects another? There are so many unanswered questions in your mind at that point as you're sat in the crisis management room. A hardware failure can typically be a singular incident while software can occur in many places. Let's say, for example, it affects a brake application signal and you could get a whole fleet down. And then whether it's design intent, malicious intent, accident intent, 
in that room, you don't know and you don't know when you're going to know. The penny is dropping that thinking about digital resilience and digital safety would be useful. But again, it's too late. And the event doesn't even stop at the end of that day. People's natural instinct is to hide and remove, delay and deny. And, and that's natural when you're faced with such an uncertain, difficult situation in that crisis management room. But then imagine the day after an event, a vendor is detained by the police for failing to discuss and disclose. The police might confiscate. They might put a tape around everything, physically, of course, but also digitally. And you wouldn't think of removing physical evidence from a crime scene. But what if you were remotely accessing, copying data from a train to help you understand what might have happened? Does that counter evidence tampering? You know, you tell the police, I didn't delete it, I just got a copy. But does that match with police looking to isolate digital evidence? So really, does, does this scenario, does it sound too dramatic? You might be thinking, would it really happen like that? But this is how it could happen. People that run exercises have seen things similar like this. I've heard from a global operator who sustained a digital incident. They painted a clear picture of their screens going black in their operations room, the phones which were run over the internet starting to stop, and this gentle crescendo of panic that got bigger and bigger. They said that at some point people were actually going around unplugging computers from the wall because they had no sense of where the incident was happening and how it was happening and how they could help stop it or control it. In that conversation with him, he was still able years later to convey that sense of panic and how they then had to step by step try to get to grips with their global operations. Now, let's move the clock back. Let's imagine someone is in there in your general operations room the day before an accident that no one knows is coming and someone is trying to warn because they think it could happen. Actually, one team that's got that digital safety perspective knows it is coming, they just don't know when. There's that absence of precursors, there's the incomplete reporting. They've just got a sense of unease. They're getting all those little sort of signals from here and there, people talking about this in the coffee room saying this could happen. What is it like for them at that point in that operations room, which hasn't yet been turned into a crisis management room because the crisis hasn't yet happened? What is it like for them? Who isn't listening to their concerns? What could we do to make people listen before the event so you could anticipate and plan and think through what might happen and then adapt your systems? Denial is a natural human nature. If it's not happening in the here and now, a lot of people from frontline through to execs struggle to see it in the future. And that's true for physical assets as well as digital assets. And it's one of the things that I, as a safety engineer who works in the field of risk, I always struggle with on a daily and a weekly basis. You go in and you say, look, this could happen. And someone will say, well, it hasn't happened. It hasn't happened yet. What makes you think it could happen? And then you have to make the case. This podcast is part of looking to try and get that penny drop to encourage people to think more broadly about what could happen. I was told an example about break brackets failure. And some people were saying, look, we've got a concern. You know, they were thumping the table and said, you know, we need to worry. The risk is unacceptable. And other people were looking out the windows and trains were running around and saying, so what's the problem? That was an invisible risk that day to all apart from those who had the ultrasound probe. And that was a real physical crack. Digital cracks are much harder to spot. So the scenario that I'm talking about, that crisis management room, the incident playing out hasn't happened yet, so far as I know. But it could happen and we can identify the causal factors now if we start to use the NIS regulation as a framework to get you thinking. If we start to bring together the different discipline areas and ask them the simple question, what could happen? I've discussed some of those scenarios in this podcast. And of course, we can identify the causal factors now, but there will be some differences for every incident and every organisation. This is an open-ended problem. 
The takeaway I'd like to suggest to our listeners is that they reflect and to think to themselves, could this happen to us? And they take on board some of the ideas and discussion points and think about how that might fit within your existing safety management system. And then when it comes to the NIS regulations, I'd suggest there's no harm in going to the National Cybersecurity Centre resources, even if you think it's not directly applicable to you in your contract and your product today. The National Cybersecurity Centre Cyber Assessment Framework, or CAF, provides guidance for organisations responsible for vitally important services and activities, such as the railway. If you want to understand a bit more about the NIS regulations and how it might impact your business and how you might want to start the process of thinking about digital safety, my recommendation is go and have a look at the CAF guidance to start developing your understanding in this area. We all know that people will become more aware of the NIS regulations when somebody is fined up to £17 million for breaking the law or 4% of the global turnover. And there's no reason why you can't take the existing frameworks today and ask yourself, what would it look like if we were asked to demonstrate compliance today? Put yourself in that operations room the day before that digital accident, that digital Stonehaven. It's a much better place to be than being in that crisis management room the day after a digital accident, the day after a digital Stonehaven has happened. Wow. Thank you, Emma, for taking the time to get us all thinking about what could happen when software goes wrong. And of course, about what we could do now to prevent it happening. And to you, our listeners, thank you for listening. If you have any comments or suggestions for this or any other podcast, please email me at podcasts at rssb.co.uk. Also, so we can make these podcasts as effective for you as possible, please email me with details of where and when you listen to our podcasts, on what device and for how long. And if you have any technical questions, please send them to us through the RSSB customer portal at customer-portal.rssb.co.uk. Thank <laughs> you.